Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And today I want to thank Tim in particular, who became our latest Patreon supporter at the Shamus level of $4 a month or more. You can support the show on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net as well. And uh, you can mail a donation to P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. That's P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. Or like Tim, you can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Nightbeat. The original air date for today's uh, episode of Nightbeat is May the 22nd, 1952, and this one is Target for a Week. NBC presents, transcribed, Frank Lovejoy in... This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. There's a certain party around town by the name of Panagin. He slugs out an acid column for Pierce's Gazette based on semi-truth, crumbs of political gossip, and backstage hearsay. All of it liberally spiced with sly comments on male anatomy. His major pitch is what he calls his target of the week, in which some unfortunate citizen gets a six-day mud bath. As a result, those broken in Panagin's column are beyond count. Well, last week, the color of his ink hit home and hard. Believe me, friends, it's something of a shock to pick up the opposition paper, only to read that you're a killer. I was pounding out the final paragraph a few hours from deadline when a copy boy burst into the city room and told me my boss man, Joe Phillips, wanted to see me quick. I walked up a flight of stairs, down a hall of frosted glass doors to one marked Night Editor. Phillips was leaning over his desk, his heavy brows squeezed into a familiar frown. The minute I came in, he picked up a clipping from the Pierce's Gazette and bade me take a chair. Sit down, Randy. Pleasure. What's up? You won't believe this. Even after you read it, you won't believe it. Well, let's hear it. Hold on to your seat. No surprise is the rumor that Randy Stone, Chicago Star newsman, triggered Harry the Slicker Borenson. What? There's more, Randy. It is said in the more authoritative circles here that the boys in blue rigged a confession from ex-con Johnny Liggett to protect the star's fair name. With Liggett due for electrocution tomorrow at 12.01... Wouldn't you say, Governor, that something should be done about this? The end. Let me see that. In black and white. Triggered Harry the Slicker Borenson. This must be a gag. You can buy that gag at any newsstand. Wow. Yeah, wow. I feel like somebody just smacked me in the basket. You look green, all right. Well, what's the answer? 
Nearest I can figure, Andy, it's that series you did on Borenson about six months ago. Four-time loser? That was the title. Oh, no, no, Phillips. You got any better ideas? That's your only connection with Borenson. Oh, this thing was picked straight out of the air. Why, I don't know. I never had a run-in with Pierce's Gazette. Of all the four million people in the city, why me? Maybe because you work for the Star, the Gazette's stiffest competition. But it's such an obvious lie, Phillips. How can they hope to get away with it? Leggett was convicted of Borenson's murder. One, two, three. The jury was out 30 minutes. What about proof? Why don't you never let facts stand in his way? Whatever he gets into his head would be good for circulation. That's what he writes. That's why George Pierce keeps him on. He wants to get the star in a big feud, so Chicago will start talking about it and boost the Gazette up to our level. Well, we're not playing. You mean you're letting this go without a fight, not a word of denial? We can't get sucked into this thing, Randy. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't just a personal matter between Panagin and me. The star is in it neck deep. Look, Randy, I know how you feel, but everything we print, good or bad, means a big plug for Pierce's Gazette. Well, make me a bargain, Phillips. If I dig up the Panagin story with facts, documented, authentic, if I bring you the whole story, will you print it? What kind of story? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that Panagin and his big boss, George Pierce, are covering for somebody. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I wouldn't put it past them. Well, what do you say? Well, if the story's really hot, okay. Thanks. Where are you going? I'm not about to laugh this off, Phillips. Randy, now, look, take it easy. Don't get yourself into trouble. In trouble? Listen, from now on, Panagin's my target of the year. I'm making him a cause. I'll write that disease out of this town if I have to use handbills. But frankly, I didn't feel much like brandishing the golden sword. I felt weak and sick, and I couldn't think. I went outside into the biting wind, hoping it would beat the nightmare out of my head. But the terror had taken hold, and it wouldn't let go. It was the giant power of the lie issued in the loud voice of sound authority amplified by the press. That's the way to take the truth down to size. Let the public cry for blood just so you sell papers. Well, I walked, and all the time a line kept singing its way through me, a line I used to chant to the other six-year-olds when I was a kid. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. That's a kid's line, strictly. All of which brought me to my favorite bar on LaSalle Street. Chet, the barkeep, demonstrated some awfully odd behavior. Hi, Chet. Evening, Mr. Stone. What's the matter with you? Nothing, nothing the matter. What? What are you staring at? No, I'm not staring. I'm just going to wipe the squares. Come on, Chet, boy, out with it. What's the angle here? Something wrong with my patronage? Oh, no, 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 of course not, Mr. Stone. I'm not going to shake the cash drawer. <laughs> That's pretty good. Come on, speak up, friend. What's the beef? Look, Mr. Stone, I want you to know, I don't believe a word of it. The Panagin piece? I told Mike, you know, the other bartender. I told him you didn't even know Borenson. How could you have anything to do with a killing? Well, you were wrong, Chet. I did know him. You did? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. What's the talk? Well, Mr. Stone, you know how it is. People, they read something, they believe what they read. They figure anything's in the paper, it's got to be right, you know. 
Then lots of them. Liggett's confession to Borenson's murder, they figure was cut and dried. Fixed, huh? Yeah, yeah, that cheap publicity gag the Gazette had. You see what they do? You know, they keep Panagin's real identity hidden, see? It's a big secret, see? So that none of the people he talks about get revenge on him. It's freedom of expression. That's what the papers call it. Freedom of expression, yeah. Ah, what am I telling you for? You know the story. But but just a tip, Mr. Stone. This thing is pretty hot. You know how people are. They get all upset. They all want to be knights of the round table or something. Look, I'd uh, be kind of careful if I was you. I mean, if I was you, I'd go home. Yeah, you never know with people, Mr. Stone. Well, I might do that, Chet. After I take care of a little business. What's the tab? My business concerned the owner and publisher of Pierce's Gazette. I went to George Pierce's residence. I was told by a rather worried wife that the eminent publisher hadn't been home in 24 hours. She gave me the name of his favorite hangout, which I guess she was too proud to phone, and asked me if I found him, would I please tell him to come home? I said I would. He was there, all right. George Pierce, executive in the blue light of a cheap tavern, pumping his royal bloatedness full of sherry, flushed and sweating in a tight tuxedo. I sat down uninvited between him and the jowly blonde, thus killing the punchline of a very old story. What are you talking about? That was your chance. <laughs> Who are you? Randy Stone. You remember me. Yeah, Chicago Stars, the worst paper in the country. So sit down. I'm already sat. Yes, so you are. I'm sorry, this is Miss Leroy, Desmond Leroy, a songstress. How are you? She's a singer. She doesn't talk. Besides, she's a little under the weather, aren't you, honey? <laughs> I'll stone you all straight with the police. You confess yet. Where can I find this Panagin? Panagin is my little secret, Stone. Well, then you tell him that I want a big column in tomorrow's edition calling himself a liar. Why don't you take the matter to the courts? Oh, you'd like that. Some more papers that way. Oh, you're making me sick. On your way, killer. Mm. Oh, I'm going to love this. Let go, you crazy fool. What's the matter with you? My apologies, lady. When he gets up, tell him his wife wants him to come home. I'm no lover of the quick punch, but I'll admit it, I walked out of there feeling singularly better. A solid left for myself and a few thousand other newspaper men who still believe the morning bundle of print was created for facts, honest comment, and the funnies. It was almost morning. I went home, I pulled up a chair, propped my feet up on the windowsill, and stared out at Chicago at dawn. A swirl of soft snow circled the black pavement. A kid in corduroy knickers went by, bucking the wind, a bunch of papers under his arm. Peddling what? The news of the world or the pack of lies? I was so lost in the question, I hardly noticed the shadow move over the carpet. The saccharine fumes of cheap cologne. Then she came into the light. White cheeks spotted with rouge, penciled eyebrows, too young for the makeup. But the gun in her fist was steady. You could tell the feel of it wasn't new to her. Yes, she was an old hand. How long have you been here? I thought you'd never get back. I worked nights. You know me? Pauline Liggett. I didn't think you'd remember. 
The time I interviewed you and your husband. You asked me all kinds of questions. About what kind of a life do we live? I said we lived a nice kind of life before Johnny... He's going to die tomorrow. You know that, don't you? I know. You know he was framed, don't you? That wasn't the jury's opinion. If any kind of evidence the police want, they can cook it up like that. Including the bullet in Boronson's brain? Don't move. Yeah. Bullets. Anything. They can cook it up. How about the confession? They cooked that up, too? They tortured him to get that confession. He has marks on his arms, on his back. Who told you all this? I saw the marks. You think the police put them there? Who else would do a thing like that? The police didn't have to, Pauline. The evidence was all there. If there were marks, he put them there himself. For sympathy. I knew that's what you'd say. I knew it. I expected exactly that. So, Johnny Liggett was framed. Because he's got a record. The police hate him. How did he get a record? Five years he served at Joliet. You know why? He went to prison to help his brother. His brother stole a lot of money, and Johnny went to prison so his brother wouldn't have to. That's touching. And the two years in Leavenworth, Johnny served that for his brother, too? Listen, once they start framing you, just like Johnny says, you're the patsy from there on in. They always put the finger on you. You haven't got a chance. Why don't you tell the governor about all this reserve honesty? The lawyer's taking care of all that. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the gun for? I went down to the jail and I saw him. I asked him, I said, Johnny, now you tell me the truth. Did you do it, Johnny? And he looked at me and he said, no, Pauline, I swear to you, he said, I never done a thing like that. It's like everything else, he said, a frame. Pauline, use your head. Why would I kill Borens? I don't know why you killed him. How should I know? Maybe over some kind of deal you had with him. Money, maybe, or a girl, maybe. But this Mr. Pierce and this guy Panagin that writes for him, they're for the little guy, always for the little guy like Johnny. You want to believe that story awful bad, don't you, Pauline? It's true. The whole thing is true. Sure, it bucks the evidence, all the logic. But it's true. Yeah, I'll bet it looks real fine all printed up. And they put it up in black and white and charge people money to read it. It sounds like a lot of truth, doesn't it? Like the state's attorney. You talk good, Mr. Stone. Johnny's going to die tomorrow night. An awful lot of me is going to die with him. But you aren't going to have a chance to sit back and laugh. At 12.01, they killed Johnny. At 12.01, I kill you. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Here's an important message for employers, personnel directors, in fact, anyone who's in a position to hire people. Disabled workers have learned how to take care of themselves. They know how to avoid accidents on the job. And why not? They've gone through one period of suffering and they certainly don't want another. Now, the result? Well, they observe your safety rules to a T. And what's more, you'll find they furnish the enthusiasm and leadership for putting across your safety programs with a bang. 
Now, do you think this is just theory? Well, certainly not. It's been proved time and time again by surveys conducted the nation over. Those surveys showed without exception that handicapped workers have better safety records than able-bodied workers doing the same jobs. That's right, better safety records. And so, Mr. Employer, hire the handicapped. Do it now. The local office of your state employment service will be glad to help you. And now, back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. At 12.01, Johnny Liggett would die in the electric chair. At 12.01, according to his wife's schedule, I'd join her husband in death. The clock. Her gun. 11.30 p.m. 31 minutes to Johnny Liggett's death. And mine. Pauline's face was set, her jaw tight. All I could see was hate. What time is it? 11.32. Hungry? No. You want me to... Shut up. I've got some cheese in the ice box. I don't want any. You think killing me is going to help him? You did your talking. Now shut up. You should be trying to help him. I'm not going to tell you again. Was he good to you? Always good to me. Ever asked him where he got his money? He worked. Where? Where did he work? All kinds of jobs. You've handled a gun before. We used to go out to the Indiana Dunes. You and Johnny? Target practice. Mm-hmm. Cheese, huh? It's a week old. Get up. Go on. No tricks. I'm good with this. No tricks. Open the icebox. Open the icebox. Give it to me. No, leave it where it is. I'll get it. Get away from the door. Go on. American cheese. That's right. Right out. A week old, like I said. Poison, maybe. A killer like you. Maybe. I'll take my chances. No bread? Just cheese. Go on back. Sit down. What time is it? 11.33. And a half. Goes slow, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Slow. Yeah. But it keeps going. Well, you're going to look at that clock every minute and tell me what time it is. Just like Johnny, watching the clock. Maybe he's just playing cards. Hey, what's it like? What's what like? Does it hurt? Well, nobody knows. Maybe they never feel a thing. Maybe there's one split second when they... Nobody knows. They shave the head. Yeah. Will they do that to Johnny? Mind if we drop the subject? I want you to live through the whole thing like he did. You ever been to an electrocution? I've been to one, yes. You know about it, then? I know all about it. You're sick, Pauline. Listen, you've said everything you're going to say. You talked yourself blue all morning, all afternoon. Now shut up. Just shut up. You want them to do the same thing to you they're going to do to Johnny? Listen, now. Do you? 
You asked me that. Shut up. What time is it? 11.34 and a half. Keep watching that clock. The chaplain's with him now. Probably. Read him. What can they read to him? The 23rd Psalm. It helped. I'm not going to cry. He never liked it when I cried. The Lord... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guideth me in straight paths for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Papers are out. Panagin's column. Don't you want to read it? I'll read it. After. As a last request. No. Even Johnny will get a last request. The paper boy is coming back. The other side of the street. No sale. Maybe a pardon. Not in a million years. You never can tell. Call out the window before he goes away. Don't move. I got my eye on you every second. Boy! Paper here. I've got change. Don't move. Don't move, I said. Apartment three. Be right up, lady. One word. One word and I'll do it. When he comes to the door, you just sit there because I don't care, Mr. Stone. It's nothing to me what happens. If he sees me do it or if he doesn't. You're shaking. What time is it? 11.37. 11.37. You think you're the perfect woman, don't you, Pauline? What? A guy sheds all his sins just because you love him. He's not perfect, but he's not a killer. Grow up, Pauline. Your husband took a gun and shot a man. You were at the trial. I heard all the lies, mister. Now shut up. Johnny was an innocent man. Present tense, Pauline. He's still alive. That's right. He's still alive. Not a word. Paper man? Here you are. Thank you. I'll see what Panagin has to say. I like to read my own publicity. I'll do the reading. Panagin's notebook. Let's hear it. I can read and watch you, too. Read it. A few hours from now, Johnny Liggett, convicted of the murder of Harold Borenson two months ago, will die in the electric chair on California Avenue. Go on. I visited the condemned man in his cell today. He told me he wants everyone to know he did not kill Harold Borenson. I am an innocent man, he said. He said he holds no grudge against the man who did the killing. He'll be punished, they get said, but I forgive him. Is that all Panagin has to say? Leggett asked me to take care of his wife, Pauline. I haven't been a good husband to her. I wish I told her about the other woman. 
A long time ago. Other woman. Last minute confession. Another woman. That's a lie. It's a dirty lie. Panagin? Panagin never lies, Pauline. Johnny always said to me there never was anybody but you, Pauline. He always said that. You better make up your mind, Pauline. What? If Panagin's a liar. Another woman. If Johnny went with another woman, Panagin's telling the truth. If he didn't, Panagin's a liar. He's a liar. If he's a liar, Pauline, then he lied about a lot he's of things. He's a liar. Johnny wouldn't do that to me. Give me the gun, No, Pauline. stay away. Stay away from me. Don't you come near me. Stay away. Listen to don't me, Don't you Paul. talk to me. I don't want you talking to me. The whole city knows about it now. The city knows all about the way he cheated on you. They're sorry for you. They're all saying, isn't it a shame? She has to find out just before her husband dies in the electric chair that he was cheating on her all the time. Just because somebody printed a lie. He loved me. Johnny loved me. You're right, Pauline. He loved you very much. He couldn't do a thing like that when he loved me so much. Sure, he loved you that much. And a man who loved you that much couldn't do that to you. He couldn't have been seeing another woman. It's a dirty lie. Everything's a lie, Pauline. Everything they said. They lied about both of us. Now, give me that gun. You come with me. Where are you going? You come with me. Now, wait a minute. Liars! They make me so ashamed! Dirty liars! She wasn't sane anymore. The truth and the lie, reality and the dream were mud in her mind. Her eyes gleamed shame, anger, hate, all melted into madness. She forced me out into the car at the curb. In talking myself out of my own killing, I talked her into another. Our destination? The home of Panagin's boss, George Pierce. It was 11.55 when we reached Pierce's residence. He answered the door, blinking into the darkness, his tiny eyes buried in sleek, puffy flesh. His bulk was wrapped in a silk dressing gown, his feet in carpet slippers. He was scratching himself. Yeah, so is this. Get inside. Hurry up. She's got a gun, George. So, now listen Get here. Get inside. I... He's right. I've got a gun. Pauline, listen to me. Inside. Listen, look at that. Dirty liar. Liar? Your paper. What's the trouble, Mrs. Liggett? Another woman. Now, listen, Mrs. Liggett, maybe just for human interest, Panagin might have said something that wasn't... Human interest? Look, why don't we go into the library and have a drink? You you look like you could use a drink, Mrs. Liggett. He's going to die tonight. He's going to die, and you, all you care about is human interest. You write things like that about him, making off like I wasn't a good wife. Nobody ever loved anybody like Johnny loved me, Mr. Pierce. Nobody. We'll print a full retraction, Mrs. Liggett. I know about Panagin, too. There is no panagin. Everything that goes into that column is yours, Mr. Pierce. Every dirty line of it. Now, Mrs. Lickett. You're panagin, aren't you? Mrs. Lickett, please. You're the liar, aren't you? No, Mrs. Lickett. I, I, I didn't even see the Dirty column. Dirty liar! You better give me that. Okay, Pauline, he's dead. You got what you came for. What time is it? Twelve o'clock. 
confessed killer Liggett died in the chair last night, and his wife will be tried for murder. Her attorneys will plead that she didn't know right from wrong or true from false. I wouldn't be surprised if the court went along with them. But by the same token, would you pass the test? How good are you at telling the lie from the truth? Does the truth vary according to your personal convenience? Black one day, white the next? The next time you read anything, ask yourself, I have the right to doubt. Am I using it? Because it's too dangerous living in a world of misinformed people. There's a reason why the lie is the tyrant's favorite death weapon. It's killed more people since the world began than all the armies and the automobiles put together. Copy, boy. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by David Ellis with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Pauline was played by Joan Banks. Others featured were Bill Conrad, Peter Leeds, and Lou Krugman. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Every Thursday evening, enjoy music style just for you by the musical inhabitants of Tin Pan Valley. Yes, Tin Pan Valley is your invitation to 30 minutes of your favorite songs, both old and new. And tomorrow evening, enjoy Western music and adventure on the Roy Rogers Show. Thursdays, it's Tin Pan Valley... Friday, hear the Roy Rogers Show. Yes, enjoy both great programs on NBC. Dragnet, authentic adventure, is next on NBC. This is Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web Surfer series. Oh, and a man's wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Welcome back. Today's episode covered some interesting topics. Responsible versus irresponsible journalism and ethics in uh, news reporting, as well as the vital nature of people using critical reading and uh, being able to evaluate the truth and really seek it rather than believing anything that happens to support their own preconceived biases, as well as the danger of people believing things that are false. You know, the sort of thing that was only relevant in the 1950s. In addition to the, you know, seriously timeless topics, good episode which does a lot of interesting things. I like the idea of a reporter being exposed to the power of the press in its most ruthless uh, form. And the interplay between Randy and the killer's wife was incredibly well done. Joan Banks is 
actually Frank Lovejoy's wife, and they appeared together frequently in episodes of Suspense, which we played for app extras, and they definitely play very well off each other. I think this was probably her most memorable performance that I've heard so far in Nightbeat. And Lovejoy had some great moments as well. I particularly liked his uh, helping her with the recitation of the 23rd Psalm. All right, well, listener comments and feedback now. Bill writes regarding Long Live the Clown. Once again, Bill Conrad delivers. It seems like he's become a semi-regular on Nightbeat. Do you know how many episodes he appeared in? Uh, Well, Bill, uh, good question. Uh, Part of the problem with determining that is that more than one-third of the episodes of Nightbeat are missing. However, of the episodes that are circulating, there are 74 of them, he appeared in 19, which is a bit more than one out of four. And that may seem a little low, but I think that's because so many of the... uh, episodes he appeared in were marked by him turning in uh, memorable performances. But even if it was only one out of four, and again, who knows how many of the lost episodes he appeared in, that's still a lot of recurring work for one actor. Well, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for Rocky Fortune, and then next Monday it's another episode of Not Beat. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.